0: again, Carol. I'm going to set the book back here, Carol. I'll try to remember to put it back when we're done. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. You know, as many of you know, you can see on the screen it says Proverbs. Interestingly enough, we're only going to read one verse from Proverbs today. What? Well, last week was our second session in the book of Proverbs. And I, well, we'll get into that in a minute. I'm just going to give a very brief introduction. But a couple of weeks before that, I gave you sort of a teaser introduction to Proverbs. Proverbs is, well, it's a book of practical and godly wisdom. Practical and godly wisdom. Both. 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 It's not necessarily a how-to book like you might get from Home Depot or something along that line, but it is a godly guide in godly living, practical godly living on a number of different subjects. But as we discussed, as I'll show you in a minute, there really is a foundation under all of this. There is a beginning to all of this. There's a place it starts, but there's also a place upon which all of this wisdom and practical, practical wisdom and godly wisdom is founded, which is on the fear of God. So last week, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what this fear of God is, um, all over the place. So last week we looked at, and by the way, for those of you who don't know, you can watch these services uh, entire service, music, and everything on our uh, Facebook page. It's there on Face. It recorded on Facebook Live. It's live now for those out there watching. Thank you for being here. And by the way, it being about mid-August, as you can see, we're a bit of a sparse crowd this morning because people have all kinds of things going on—family reunions, and they're traveling for vacation, and so forth, and so on totally understandable i totally get it but i want you to know that i want, how much i appreciate those of you who are here now i thank you for being here i understand just how easy it is to be somewhere other than church on sunday morning and uh, you've heard that story before of a man getting up and saying i don't want to go to church this morning i'm not in the mood for church this morning i want to go out on the lake today and i want to take it easy and uh, and the wife says, uh, you have to go to church. And, and so the, he says, but I don't want to. And he, she says, but you're the pastor. You have to go. <laughs> and so that's the position I find myself in. <laughs> My wife said, you're the pastor. You have to go. All right. OK. Well, anyway. So last week, I covered the fear of God according to Proverbs. There's a lot of verses in the book of Proverbs on the fear of God, explaining a little bit. Each, each time, I don't know if any of you have ever done a word study. Uh, you can do a word study in the, in the Bible where you take specific words and you make a list of every, uh, uh, of every scripture reference, every verse that has those words or that phrase in the Bible. And you can learn a lot what the Bible says by putting that list on one page over here in your notebook, and what you learn from that over here on the other page. And you'd be amazed at how much you can learn. Well, that's essentially what we're doing today. And uh, not a, there's a whole lot of scripture and not that much preaching and talking from me. So let me quit flapping my gums in this introduction and get into it. A quick prayer, quick prayer. Heavenly Father, help me, Lord, to stay on track to preach your word, your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Fear the Lord, or fear God, according to the Bible. We start off in Proverbs, one of many verses in Proverbs. Now, for those of you unfamiliar, and I don't think there's too many here that would be, you can read out loud with me, or you can just listen and follow along. That is your choice. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Jay Vernon McGee, I don't know if any of you remember or are familiar with J. Vernon McGee. He's gone home to be with the Lord a long time ago, but his radio ministry continues to live on the radio. And uh, he has a, a commentary called Through, T-H-R-U, the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. And I can do a fair to Midland J. Vernon McGee impersonation sometimes, sometimes not so well. But I want to read this quote from him, because quite frankly, I love it. He says, this is where we start. I'm not going to try to do the impersonation too distracting. It's not good enough either. This is where we start. If you haven't started there, you haven't started, my friend. A man is a fool, which is what this book will say, to live without God in this world. I'm still trying, aren't I? In our contemporary society, we are so concerned with safety. Safety on the highway, safety at home, security for old age. We carry insurance for all kinds of things, and we make sure our premiums are paid up. That is the wise thing to do. But, my brother... What about eternity? What about eternity? Are you making any plans for eternity? Do you have insurance for that? Oh, how foolish it is to live this life without God. The fear of the Lord truly is the beginning of wisdom. Job twenty-eight twenty-eight. Now, before I close today, I want you to know But this, Job is another wisdom book and the wisdom books are full of this phrase, the fear of God, fear of the Lord, fear the Lord, any number of different ways you can put it. Job is no exception and Job is also full of poetry, full of Hebrew poetry, which I explained before. Hebrew poetry is not like our English poetry. It doesn't necessarily have a meter, you can't time it per se. Words don't necessarily rhyme, they have their own thing to them, and I won't get into that today, but I want to tell you, for those of you who want to get into that, I explained a lot more of that, and it's available in previous sermons. Go to Shiloh Chapel Durham, Maine on YouTube, just go to YouTube, look up Shiloh Chapel Durham, Maine, and you can watch these sermons as many times as you like, you can Uh, learn much. You can take notes there. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy it. So, let me get into this. Job 28, 28. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter before we close today, by the way, because the entire context of it is, and it's Hebrew poetry. And I love it. And I hope you love it, too. But Here he says in Job 28, 28. And to mankind he said, who's the he? It's a capital H. And to mankind, he said, Behold, the fear of of the Lord, that is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Everybody with me? Say amen. Amen. I got to do this once in a while because I know some of you get a little sleepy. And I don't want to have to go out there and slap people around. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Andy motions me. Come on, buddy. I dare (laughs) you. I I might be a little slow, but I ain't that stupid, Andy. (laughs) All right. Before I go beyond that, there is a great gulf between human and divine wisdom. But we do not need to belittle human wisdom in order to magnify the wisdom of God. This poem that... 2828 is at the end of, actually begins, and you'll see later on when I read it, as sort of a hymn to to praise the ingenuity of humanity itself. And only goes on to say that even so, true wisdom is beyond the grasp of mankind and is known only to God. Did you know that? Did you know that? True wisdom is beyond our grasp. There is one source for true wisdom, God. God in his word, God in the Holy Spirit that indwells us. So, how how important it is. So, what is given to wisdom, I mean humans, is not wisdom, but the knowledge of God's law. You got that? What is wisdom for humans is what? To live in the fear of the Lord. All right, let's get into this. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You heard that before? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation. All those who follow his commandments have a good understanding. So who has a good understanding? All those who follow his commandments have a good understanding. His praise endures forever, all right? Here's what I want you to think about on this. There are three different kinds of knowledge that I'm speaking of here today. There's more than that. In the study of epistemology, you can l- look into that. That's a big $20 word, epistemology. It's this, the ology means study of, and it's the study of knowledge. In today I'm gonna talk of theoretical knowledge academic knowledge, and experiential knowledge, very, very briefly. Now let me tell you, theoretical knowledge is theoretical. That's all it is. It's a theory. It may be a hypothesis, if you take it into a further step. Then there is academic knowledge. Academic knowledge is what a lot of people would refer to as book knowledge. That boy got a lot of, I remember somebody saying this, I remember in a southern accent too. Boy got a lot of book knowledge, but he ain't got a lick of sense. And I think we've all known somebody like that who has a lot of book knowledge. Um, There's an episode of a popular TV show full of these brilliant scientists. Their car breaks down on the side of the road. And uh, they all know the ins and outs and all the scientific academic knowledge Theoretical knowledge of how that car has broken down and why it's broken down, but not a one of them knows how to fix the car. And here comes the third important kind of knowledge experiential knowledge. You have experience doing, applying the theoretical and the academic knowledge. Are you with me so far? Okay. Well, what I want you to know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning. That's academic, that's theoretical and academic. But those who follow his commands get the experiential knowledge. You don't actually come to acquire the wisdom of God unless and until you begin practicing his commandments. You begin living out his teaching. Not only do you gain wisdom from trusting him enough to believe that he says what he means, and he means what he says. But beyond that, you also come to know him better when you obey him, when you trust him. So, Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways and love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Why? For your good. For your good. This is Moses, by the way, in case you didn't know. The giver of the law. Fear of God and love of God go hand in hand. See what I'm doing up here? Everybody else do the same thing. Hand in hand. Okay? They go together. Just like a handshake, they go together. Okay? Micah 6, verse 8. The prophet Micah puts it another way. He puts it another way. He, and I, This one is not on the screen. I meant to get it there, and I forgot, so I'll read it to you. He has told you, mortal one, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Does everybody remember that song? I am now going to scar you for life, because I'm going to try to sing this song. It's actually written a bit from the King James Version. It's actually not word for word from the King James, so I'm not sure exactly which translation it came from, but it goes something like this. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. Sorry if your ears are bleeding, but I remember that song. That song has, in times of fellowship, quiet time with my Lord, all by my lonesome, where I don't have to I still try to sing well for the Lord. He gets it. He gets it. <clears throat> but the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has brought me to tears singing that in fellowship, in quiet time with him. Have you ever experienced that? That time with the Lord? Joshua 24, 14. Now this is the second farewell that Joshua is giving, this one to the people delivered at Shechem. Joshua reviewed the history of the people of God, beginning with Torah and continuing on through the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reminded the people, he reminded the people, Of what God had done for them okay this is a picture here's what we're learning in this instance of what God is like okay because you see we can't fear God we can't trust God we can't love God unless and until we know God and not theoretical knowledge alone and not academic knowledge alone but experiential knowledge alone actually walking according to his commandments, living in the center of his will, allowing his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and our minds, his word. So he reminded, the, he reminded the people of the mighty deliverance from Egypt, the wilderness wandering, and the victory over the Moabites on the east side of the Jordan. Then he recounted their entrance into the promised land that they had been promised so long ago their victory at Jericho, remember that, marching around Jericho, and their destruction of kings and Canaan and so forth. The Lord God Almighty had delivered all of this to them, for them, according to his glory and his honor. Now, therefore, he said, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Do away with the gods, little g there, which your fathers served beyond the Euphrates River, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Psalm 27, one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? You see how there's a little bit of a turn here? This is David living in fear of enemies that are doing everything they can to strike him down, to kill him. And in this dark hour, he says this. Well, John Knox put it this way, Of whom shall I be afraid? One with God, one person with God, is a majority. Is a majority. When Cromwell was asked why he did not fear anyone, he said, I have learned that if you fear God, you have no one else to fear. You have no one else to fear. Psalm 115 11. you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. This Psalm, that, the, the first part of it, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. What do you get from that? What do you learn about fearing the Lord? Fearing the Lord is also trusting in the Lord. Is it not true? That's not exactly how it's saying it in the psalm. It's a song, actually. That he is their help and their shield is sort of the chorus. It's repeated in that psalm. But you understand what we're doing today is we are learning what fear of the Lord is according to the Bible. Last week it was fear of the Lord according to just the book of Proverbs. So we move on. Oh, by the way, Uh, This psalm admonishes Israel to trust the Lord and not to consider foreign gods. Why? Because in those rare occasions when other nations who didn't fear the true God, feared all of these little false gods, they worshipped these little false gods, they would mock the true God of the universe to the Israelites. And a lot of the Israelites, I don't know what percentage, it doesn't say, were tempted We're tempted to follow the gods of the people who had conquered them, who had beaten them in a particular battle. Well, here, this message, the psalm admonishes Israel to trust the Lord and not even to consider foreign gods. But the message would speak powerfully to me and to you today. Anytime we are tempted to follow the ways of the world, to follow unbelievers, We have to recognize that it is the Lord that is true God. Do you have false gods? Are you sure? What do you trust in more, your God or your job? What do you trust in more? Your 401K? Your Social Security paycheck? Or God? Who are you trusting more? It's just a thought. False gods. We all have a tendency to take on false gods. Is it television? Is it lunch? Are you thinking about lunch right now? Maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. (laughs) Now you are. You see my point though, right? That's my point. Let's move on. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. The conclusion. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Ecclesiastes is another wisdom book about ecclesiastical things. All right, let me use the technical nomenclature that I use. Churchy stuff. Aren't you impressed? Churchy stuff. The conclusion. When everything has been heard, is... Fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to who? Raise your hand if you are one of every person. Okay? I see one person didn't raise their hand. You are. You know. That's all right. I'm not going to call your name out. (laughs) Just kidding. So... Loyal submission to the rule of God is the central and summary admonition of biblical wisdom literature. Let me say that again. Loyal submission to the rule of God is the central and summary admonition of biblical wisdom literature. Now I want to read to you, I know nobody likes being read to maybe except little kids in school, but I want to read to you something that I thought was really good, really powerful, from something called the Jesus Bible. Now, I don't know this whole Bible. I read this online, and I said, i got to use this. So, hangeth vow thou in there, as the 11th commandment might say. Okay, you're not going to find that in the Bible. That's my own goofy stuff. I stole it from somewhere else, somebody else, and I use it all the time. But listen to this. Solomon wrote from an incredibly unique perspective. He had experienced the best that life has to offer in terms of fortune, fame, and pleasure. Yet he boiled all of life down into this one simple phrase. Jesus was asked to define the single most important commandment in all the law. That was in Matthew chapter 22. And to paraphrase it or to summarize it, he responded with a simple twofold command love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Okay? The final counsel of God, uh, excuse me, Solomon's great wisdom combines with Christ's clarification of the law to reveal an amazing connection between get this, a connection between wisdom, obedience, and love. Okay? Remember, we're studying what the Bible has to say about the fear of God. So, This amazing connection between wisdom, obedience, and love. The pinnacle of wisdom is respecting and obeying God. The pinnacle of wisdom is respecting and obeying God. And the heart of obedience, the heart of obedience to God's law consists of loving God and other people. Loving God and other people. Amidst all the wisdom and counsel within the book of Ecclesiastes, this insight is something that anyone should be able to apply to their life. Anyone. Solomon's words of wisdom connect directly to Christ's way of obedience and love. Everybody get that? Say amen. Let's move on to the New Testament. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Read with me if you like, or follow along if you like. This is Jesus speaking. Now, mind you, before I get into this, this is Jesus speaking. By the way, he had just had a confrontation, if you will, with the Pharisees about hypocrisy. This is immediately following that. Now I say to you, my friends, who is he speaking to now? Were the were the pair? Yeah, excuse me, not even saying it right. The Pharisees, his friends? No. These are his followers he's speaking to. He said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. Why is he saying that? Well, because the Pharisees are going to play a role in killing many of Christ's followers in that first century. Not very far into it, actually. But then he goes on and he says, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one Stop." NASB I'm using today, I'm using this translation because it's one of my favorites, but it also capitalizes the personal pronouns of deity. So, one is capitalized because he's speaking of God, all right? Fear God. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he capitalized, has killed someone. Yes, after God has killed someone. Has the power to throw that person into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him with a capital H. I know that there's a lot of preachers and pastors you can watch on TV and YouTube and so forth and so on that might soft pedal this stuff. Those of you who know, know that I do not soft pedal it in the least. I have referred to this as the Church of the Painful Truth, and That's the reality, because to tell you anything less than the absolute truth, to not warn you about this, I would be doing you a horrific disservice in not warning you about this. So he says, fear him for this very reason. So I want you to know, I meant to put this on the screen too, and I forgot. In the very next couple of verses, Jesus says this. Are five sparrows not sold for two Asaria? And Asaria is a Roman copper coin worth about one-sixteenth of a day's wage. Are five sparrows not sold for two Asaria? And yet not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God. Not one of them. So in the previous verse, we learned that God is judge and can punish you eternally in hell. Okay? Okay. Now we see that God notices even the sparrows, these insignificant, seemingly little birds. But he goes on to say, he said, yet not one of them has gone unnoticed in the sight of God. Verse 7, But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Yes, some of us have few to count. Okay? And then he goes on to say, Do not fear. What? Aren't we talking about the fear of God? He says, who's he talking to here? Those who already fear God. Those who are already loving Jesus. Those who are already following Jesus. There's the distinction. I want you to see this because this distinction is very clear here in the next few verses. If you are already trusting God and loving God, you are in essence fearing God. You understand me? If you've trusted Jesus because of you realized you needed a savior and apart from that savior you were going to be cast into the fires of hell. You accepted the fact that he paid the eternal price for your sins forever and ever and ever. Amen. Okay? Past, present, and future. Once and for all, scripture says. So, he says, do not fear. Why? Because you, raise your hand if you're a person, you. You, are you a you? No, are you a me? Okay, do not fear. You are more valuable than a great number of sparrows. And like I said, who's he speaking to? Those who fear God, who are born again, who Christ purchased or would purchase at that point in time, he hadn't quite done it yet, would purchase at a great cost. He has purchased us with his very own suffering, with his very own blood, was dead, buried, and raised up. Let me move on. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. Let's read this together. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's mocking Christ. Does that sound like fear? He did not fear. But the other responded and rebuking him, the cap small h said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Thieves on either side of Christ. I have no doubt that the sovereign God planned this out in all of eternity to see this contrast that you are about to see. I know you've heard the stories, you've read them before, but I want to show you something today that maybe you hadn't thought of recently. So this one says, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Verse 41, and we indeed are suffering justly, For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. What do you observe here? One man is mocking Jesus for not saving them. The other one recognizes Jesus for who he really is. Not only who he really is, but you'll see... He recognizes that Jesus has done nothing wrong. Okay? He is an innocent. The very reason he can pay the penalty for our sins is because he was the spotless Lamb of God without sin. So he has also acknowledged what? His own sin. And then we read next. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, with a capital H, this is Jesus, said to him, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see the difference? The difference between one who fears God and one who does not fear God? That is the most significant difference I can imagine. Can you think of a more significant difference? A more lasting legacy of of your fear for God? I can't. I can't. Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 6. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as what? Sons, or sons and daughters. And this is, by the way, a quote from Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 11, I think, mostly. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. You got that? Are you with me? When God speaks of discipline and rebuke, it is sons whom he addresses. The word for discipline combines the thoughts of chastening and education. It points to sufferings that teach us something. In verse 4, the striving was against sin, but somehow the hand of God was in it too. No circumstances, no circumstances, none, no circumstances are beyond God's control. He is sovereign. And there are none he cannot use to carry out his purposes. So, so, believers are not to belittle the significance of their sufferings, nor, and this is very important for you, lose heart in the face of God's correction. There's another reason why you should fear God. Correction. Like the Father who loved you, The mother who loved you, perhaps, who punished you as a child when you did wrong. That type of fear. God, your Father in heaven, can do that to us and does. doesn't say he can or he might. It says he will. You get that? Uses the nasty, horrible circumstances sometimes of your life or the consequences, direct consequences of your own sin for correction. For rebuke. So God disciplines the people he loves, not those he is indifferent to. Not those he is indifferent to. Have you ever wondered why is it, well it's written about in scripture, why do the wicked get away with this stuff? Now not to get into politics too much, but how often have you looked at in, in Washington DC and politicians doing all kinds of things Powerful, wealthy people, not just politicians, but otherwise powerful, wealthy people who seem to get away with all kinds of things that you and I could not get away with, right? Yeah, don't envy them. Do not envy them. In the end, there will be justice. God has promised it. He has guaranteed it. There will be justice. All right. Moving right along. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Now we are coming up to the time of tribulation. Time for a shameless plug. We're going to be studying Revelation in midweek Bible study beginning next month. So you can follow along, get in touch with me, just about anybody else here, if you want to know about that. That's going to be either on Monday night or Tuesday night, most likely. One night is going to be grief share. And one night is going to be the study of the book of Revelation. And we have multiple times, classes for that Revelation course, by the way. There's going to be one on Sunday evenings. There's going to be on either Monday or Tuesday night. And there may well be one with Phyllis for the ladies on probably Tuesday morning, you said. Wherever it might be, you'll, you'll figure that out as you go along. Let's get back to this. This is an angel. And I saw John writing... I saw another angel flying amid heaven with an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, I'm not going to get too loud, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters what do you learn about fearing God what do you learn about God here That he's bringing judgment and he's calling that for his people to fear him to give him glory to worship him we also learn that he made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters right this angel flying in mid heaven with the everlasting gospel seems to correspond with Matthew 24, 14. And I quote And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. The subject of the gospel is given in verse 7. Men are commanded to fear God rather than the beast. To give glory to him, God, rather than to the idolatrous image. And to worship him, God, rather than a mere man. Of course, there is only one gospel. The good news of salvation through faith in Christ. Does everybody get that? Say amen. The good news of salvation through faith in Christ. The intent of the gospel message is that people should, what? Fear God and worship him. John is perhaps showing the final fulfillment of Mark chapter 13, verse 10, which says, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. We must never forget the announcement of divine judgment. We must never forget that the the announcement of divine judgment can never be separated from the proclamation of God's mercy. Does that give you a little bit of a picture? God is merciful, but he's also just. He cannot let sin go unpunished. That is the very reason why he poured out his wrath against all ungodliness on his very own son. His very own son willingly, his eternal son, willingly took that wrath. It was, you might say, a divine conspiracy. Some of you I know out there probably like some conspiracies, cons- conspiracy theories. This is a divine conspiracy. So the hour of judgment had come, bringing the positive rewards for the saints and the negative destruction of the wicked. The message of the eternal gospel is to fear and to worship God. Something that only saints can do. If you are in Christ, you can do it. If you are not in Christ, you cannot. You will not. You're not going to if you're not in Christ. You can't do it. You have to be in Christ. You have to make that choice. Something that only saints can do. This is the only use of the word, by the way. The only use of the word gospel in the whole book of Revelation. Did you know that? Now listen. God's word, the Bible, reveals God's attributes. To fear God, to trust God, to love God, and to worship Him rightly, which is to worship Him in spirit and in truth. You must get to know God. The more you follow His commandments, The more you read his word and follow his commandments, the more you will get to know him. And I'm just going to read just a few of his attributes. And then I'm going to read Job 28 quickly. And then we're going to close. Here's what we know. God is infinite. God is immutable. That is, he's unchanging. God is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's full of perfect wisdom. He is faithful. He is always good. He is perfectly just. He is merciful. He is full of grace. The Bible says he is love. His very nature is love. God is holy. Scripture says, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, worthy to be praised. That's in Revelation. Maybe in more than one place, by the way. He is the light of the world, and he is absolutely, completely, and totally glorious. That's why you should fear God. That's why you should love God. That's why you should trust God. That's why you should worship God. That's why you should serve God. Why? All of that. You with me? Can you say amen? All right. Job. If I can just get this open. Job speaks of wisdom and understanding in chapter 28. Listen closely. Please know, excuse me, people know where to mine silver and how to refine gold. They know where to dig iron from the earth and how to smelt copper from rock. They know how to shine light in the darkness and explore the farthest regions of of the earth. And they search in the dark for ore. They sink a mine shaft into the earth far from where anyone lives. They descend on ropes swinging back and forth. That's how the mining was done in those days. Food is grown on the earth above, but down below the earth is melted as by fire. Here the rocks contain precious lapis lazuli. Not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the dust contains gold. These are treasures no bird of prey can see, no falcon's eye observe. No wild animal has walked upon these treasures. No lion has ever set his paw there. People know how to tear apart flinty rocks and overturn the roots of mountains. See how it's praising the knowledge of men. They cut tunnels in the rocks and uncover precious stones. They dam up the trickling streams and bring to light the hidden treasures. But do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? No one knows where to find it, for it is not found among the living. It is not here, says the ocean, nor is it here, says the sea. It cannot be bought with gold. It cannot be purchased with silver. It's worth more than all the gold of Ophir, greater than precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Wisdom is more valuable than gold and crystal. It cannot be purchased with jewels mounted in fine gold. Coral and jasper are worthless in trying to get it. The price of wisdom is far above rubies. Precious peridot from Ethiopia cannot be exchanged for it. Its worth is more than the purest gold. But do people know where to find wisdom? Where can they find understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all humanity. Even the sharp-eyed birds in the sky cannot discover it. Destruction and death say, we've heard only rumors of where wisdom can be found. God alone understands the way to wisdom. He knows where it can be found, for he looks through the whole earth and sees everything under the heavens. He decided how the winds should blow. And how much rain should fall. He made the laws for the rain and laid out a path for the lightning. And then he saw wisdom and evaluated it. He set it in place and examined it thoroughly. And this is what he says to all humanity. For the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Are you with me? Say amen. Now I just want to read a quick note from the Life Application Study Bible on this. Job stated that wisdom cannot be found, and I'm closing with this. Job stated that wisdom cannot be found among the living. It is natural for people who do not understand the importance of God's word to seek wisdom here on earth. It's natural. It's normal. Nowadays, you go to YouTube, right? They look to philosophers and other leaders to give them direction for living. Yet Job said that wisdom is not found there. No leader or group of leaders can produce enough knowledge or insight to explain the totality of human experience. The ultimate interpretation of life, of who we are and where we are going, must come from outside and above our mortal life. When looking for guidance seek god's wisdom as revealed in the bible to be lifted above and beyond the boundaries of life we must know and we must trust the lord of life who is jesus the christ let's pray heavenly father i thank you lord for this message for your word I thank you for the people who came here to hear it. I thank you for everyone watching it on Facebook Live who will watch it later on YouTube. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that you take this message home, that you make it bring forth fruit like a seed planted in the hearts and minds of your people. Thank you, Father, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.